gets really ratcheted up by people who marry and divorce and then remarry and divorce and remarry and divorce. Kind of like Elizabeth Taylor, who had seven spouses. It's amazing how these folks can, can disrupt uh, the divorce rate in our country. Some good news is, though, that the divorce rate among Gen Xers and uh, millennials, which is the next generation coming, is uh, lower statistically than it is among the boomers. The divorce rate seems to be going down among younger generations as they are more hesitant to get married. Unfortunately, a lot of young people today, well, they don't get married. They just decide to to live together, which we know from the Bible is not what God wants. We know from Genesis chapter 2 that we just read a moment ago that God's design for sex is that it would happen between one man and one woman in the covenant bond of marriage. And anything else is less than God's best. Fornication is a sin according to the Bible. In fact, we read in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 specifically, the writer of Hebrews tells us, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. And of course, the word for sexually immoral uh, can also be translated as fornicator. The New American Standard Version of the Bible, which is the most uh, literal translation, as you can see up there on the wall, it says it's fornicators. Fornicators and adulterers will be judged. Fortunately, of course, there's grace in the body of Christ. There's forgiveness, as we talked about just a moment ago in the prayer of confession, as Kim pointed out last week in, in his message about the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery in John chapter 8. Jesus sees her, and he realizes that she is a pawn in the Pharisee's game, and so he tells her, I do not condemn you. But then he also says, go and sin no more. Jesus doesn't condemn her, but he also doesn't condone her behavior. He encourages encourages her to live according to God's word, for that is what is best for all of us. God loves us, and he wants us to have his best. And we know from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 6 to 9, that Jesus wants every marriage to last a lifetime. In Mark chapter 10, verses 6 to 9, Jesus quotes the passage from Genesis that we read just a moment ago. Jesus says, when asked about divorce, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus lets us know that God is the one who brings a man and a woman together in the covenant bond of marriage. And Jesus reminds us that that the two, as Genesis says, the two become one, which mathematically doesn't make sense, but in God's divine economy, that is what is best. For a husband and wife become one, not just physically, but emotionally as well. When one spouse hurts, the other one hurts emotionally with them. A husband and wife become one economically, for they begin to share a household and finances together. Socially, they become one as they begin to share the same social circles and friends together. And missionally, they become one as they combine their spiritual gifts together to follow Christ's great commission to make disciples together. Francis Chan, in his best-selling book, You and Me Forever, Marriage in Light of Eternity, points out that the Great Commission, in light of the Great Commission, the focus of our marriage should really be discipleship, not necessarily happiness. He points out that when a couple has their eyes focused on the Great Commission of making disciples of Jesus, unity is the natural result. 
For as they focus on Jesus and how they can make disciples, they are drawn closer to Christ and closer to each other. Francis Chan explains that marriages, marriages that only focus on their own happiness and their own contentment fail to be the fruitful partnerships that God designed marriage to be. For in Genesis chapter 2, we read that God made a helper for Adam. And the Hebrew word for helper in this passage in Genesis chapter 2 is also used, uh, that is used to describe Eve's role is Ezer. It's the same Hebrew word that is used in Exodus chapter 18, verse 4, when Moses says, Eliezer, that's the name of his son, for he said, the God of my father was my help, my Ezer, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. God is described as Moses' help, his Ezer. Therefore, to say that Eve is Adam's helper or help does not mean that Eve is less than Adam, in fact, we know from Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, that both men and women are created in the very image of God. We are equally created in God's image differently, but equally created in God's image. And Adam admits in the passage we read just a moment ago in Genesis chapter 2, when he sees Eve, he says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It's the Bible views Adam and Eve as partners helping each other to fulfill God's call. And if you remember the first call that God gives to humanity, it's to, well, it's to produce, it's to be fruitful and, and multiply. And Adam can't make children without Eve, and Eve needs Adam to help, him, help her raise these children. I like the way that the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible translates Genesis chapter 1, verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. Francis Chan points out that our spouses are our helpers, our partners in making disciples. Francis Chan writes that you can be more effective together than apart. In a truly healthy relationship, we enable each other to accomplish more than we could have done alone. I remember several years ago, uh, after we had just had our daughter Elizabeth, and we had gone from having two parents and one child to now, you know, two parents and two children, so it was man-to-man uh, defense all the time. Everybody had something to do all the time. Uh, one of my college friends asked me, he started dating a new girl that he thought he might uh, ask to marry him, and so he asked me, you know, when you're, when you're looking for a spouse, Howard, what do you think are the most important characteristics to, to look for? And of course, I told him, well, the f- most important characteristic is that she loves Jesus, because that's most important to you, and you want to share that common love, that common uh, vision of who God is and, and mission together. But I also said, you should look for a good teammate. My friend played a lot of sports. And I said, you need a good teammate because you're going to be working together to raise these children together. And you need someone who's going to help complement your gifts and your skills. Someone who can come alongside and, and you can work together in helping raise these children. Now, my spiritual gifts uh, happen to be knowledge, faith, teaching, and evangelism. Sarah's spiritual gifts are faith, discernment, helps, and encouragement. Sarah was actually a cheerleader in high school, and so she's been my greatest cheerleader uh, as we have followed God's call in ministry, leading and helping uh, serve in different churches. And her gift of discernment has helped both of us see what God is up to in our lives and what is really going on with different people that we encounter. Sarah has been a wonderful partner for me in, in ministry, and as we always uh, seek to, to, to do and follow God's call, she's been a wonderful partner in ministry, always helping behind the scenes as we try to follow God's call to make disciples of our children and the churches where we serve. Her faith has been remarkable as we've been called to move from Dallas to Princeton, Princeton to Houston, Houston to Dallas, Dallas now to Amarillo. 
And my gifts of knowledge and teaching have been helpful as we try to teach the truth of God's word to our children and to the churches where we serve. Do you view your spouse as a partner in ministry? And if you're not married, are you looking for someone who might be a good partner in ministry? Because in Matthew 28, we can see that the, well, the final words of Jesus, we have all been called to make disciples. And Francis Chan points out that in light of the Great Commission, your marriage exists to make disciples. You don't want to stand before God someday and at the end of your life with no disciples, Francis Chan says. Your, your marriage exists to make disciples. We exist to make disciples. And you don't want to stand before God one day at the end of your life with no disciples. Of course, discipleship begins in the home. Sarah and I, we love you all, but the most important disciples we can make are of our three children. We want to make sure they know Jesus and love Jesus. And next week, Murray is going to talk about, uh, as the father of five kids and uh, two grandkids, what it means to uh, make disciples in your home of your children and grandchildren in light of eternity. One of the things that Murray often says, I hear him, is that, is that faith is more caught than taught. Our children will learn how to pray and how to worship God and how to read God's word and how to serve others by, well, by watching us. We can't make our children believe in Jesus. That's a decision they'll have to make for themselves. But we can put them in an environment where they can experience the love of Christ firsthand, not only through us, but through our church body. Our children... Our, our children come to church every Sunday because we know that they need to be here. Corporate worship is good for their souls. We know that. And so regardless of whether they want to be here or not, they are here because we know it's good for their soul. My children also attend our weekly church Wednesday night programming because we know that weekly Bible study and Christian fellowship is good for their discipleship. Now, by God's grace, my three children actually love coming to church here. They, they felt very welcomed here. They, they enjoy what God is doing here. And then, but as a kid, I remember, I didn't always want to come to worship. I didn't always want to come to Sunday school. But my parents brought me regardless because they knew that worship was good for my soul. I needed to be in Sunday school. I needed to learn God's word. I needed to experience the love of Christ firsthand, not only through my parents, but also through the body of Christ, his church. I love what Robbie Castleman uh, said to us uh, several months ago, the author of Parenting the Pew, when she came to preach here uh, last summer. She said, uh, parents in America today spend countless hours teaching their kids to play a sport that they will play competitively for maybe 10 years. But we spend very little time in comparison teaching them how to worship God, which they will do for all eternity. Just think about that. Growing up as a kid, I played basketball in high school. I went to numerous basketball camps. I played in numerous basketball leagues. I spent hours working on my shot. My mom would take me to camps and learn and get from the instruction from the best coaches. But what kind of time did we spend making sure our kids know how to worship God? As parents, we know from Proverbs 22, verse 6, that our primary responsibility is to make our children disciples of Jesus Proverbs 22, verse 6, we read, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. One of the ways that we can train up a child in the way he should go is to invite them to join us in the ministry that God has called us to. What is your ministry? Not just inside your home, but what is the ministry God has called you to, whether it's to serve here in the church or to serve in our community? Who is God calling you to help make disciples of Jesus? Whether you're singled or married, 
Where has God called you to serve? Because God has equipped each one of us with different spiritual gifts, and he's commissioned all of us to go and make disciples. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do this. We can be a witness. Where is God calling you to be a witness? Where is God calling you to help make disciples? To find an example of a dynamic couple who often served behind the scenes together and had a powerful impact for God's kingdom together. Please turn to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, it may be found on page 1179 of your Red Pew Bible. I'm going to read some select verses from Acts chapter 18. As you read about the story of Priscilla and Aquila, who helped lead the church in Rome, Corinth, and Ephesus, all the while maintaining their day job of tent making. Please turn in your pew Bibles to Acts chapter 18. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, I thank you for the story that we find in Acts of Priscilla and Aquila, a couple who were committed to you, a couple who knew that they were better together as they sought to use their gifts in ministry together. God, I just pray, Lord, that... uh, Now in this time, as we read your word, you'd help us to hear from you, that you might give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that our hearts might be opened and transformed at the reading and preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Acts chapter 18, beginning with verse one, listen to the word of the Lord. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for them, for, for, with, for, the, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Skipping down to verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Assyria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centri, he had his, cut his hair for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined, but on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. Moving down to verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and, went to, and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, if you read all of Acts 18, I kind of skipped around, but if you read all of it, you'll see that well, Paul is the primary focus of this section of Scripture. This is about Paul's second missionary journey. Luke is telling the story of how he helped start the church in Corinth. 
But if you read it closely, you'll see that time and time again, there's this couple named Priscilla and Aquila who who house Paul while he's planting that church in Corinth for 18 months. And then they follow Paul to Ephesus to help him start the church there. And then when Paul leaves, they remain and actually helped instruct Apollos, this great teacher and preacher, they helped instruct him and help fix his theology so that he might better communicate the full truth of God's word. We know from 1 Corinthians 16, 19 that the church in Ephesus actually met in Priscilla and Aquila's home. We can also see later from, well, the, the letter to the Romans that eventually Priscilla and Aquila make their way back to Rome and help start a house church there. In Romans 16, verses 3 to 5, we read, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epentius, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Now, Prisca was the name, uh, the formal name for Priscilla. And in Romans 1, 1 Corinthians, and, or Romans 16, 1 Corinthians uh, 16, and 2 Timothy 4, Paul, calls, uh, Paul always calls Priscilla Prisca. And even mo- more noteworthy, though, is that he usually mentions her before she mention- he mentions her husband, Aquila. In fact, Luke, in our passage in Acts chapter 18, makes a point to always list Priscilla first. And this is really unusual in the uh, first century, normally you would name the husband before the wife. This highlights the fact that she was a very important person in the life of the earliest church. Some scholars believe that maybe she was from a, a royal lineage and that she was well known. That's why her name is, is first before her husband's. But regardless, it's important to notice that Priscilla and Aquila were a team together. They helped instruct Apollos in his theology. Priscilla and Aquila were faithful followers of Jesus who risked their own lives, as Paul writes, to make disciples in Corinth, in Ephesus, and later in Rome, where the house church met in their homes. They traveled countless miles to fulfill that great commission Jesus gave to all of us to go and make disciples. All the while, they maintained their their tent-making job, uh, their job of making tents. What is your job? What is your ministry? Where is God calling you to make disciples? And if you're married, how can you work with your spouse to help make disciples together? Now for Sarah and me, our, our primary ministry is with our kids and then with our church. But I recognize that as a preacher, I get paid to be good. Priscilla and Aquila, from all accounts, were good for nothing. No one was paying them to preach the word. No one was paying them to host the church in their homes. They were simply grateful for all that God had done for them in Jesus Christ. For as they thought about the cross of Christ and how Jesus paid the ultimate price for our sins with his death, and then on the third day rose again conquering sin and death on our behalf, they were overflowing with gratitude and gratefulness. And they knew that this good news would save souls. And so they did all that they could to help make disciples of Jesus so that others might have the assurance of eternal life that they so richly enjoy in a relationship with Jesus. Who do you know? in your place of work or maybe in your neighborhood or maybe in your social circles who who does not yet know Jesus, who does not yet have that assurance of eternal life that comes through a relationship with him? How is God calling you to use your spiritual gifts to help minister to these people so they might experience the unconditional, sacrificial love of Jesus? 
What are your spiritual gifts? How are you using those spiritual gifts to help make disciples of Jesus, to make an eternal difference in the life of another? Now, if you don't know your spiritual gifts, you can talk to Murray. We've got a little survey you can take, and you'll discover what those are. And then you can find out what are your, what are your spouse's spiritual gifts. And you begin to think together, how is God calling us to bring our gifts together? Because Jesus is the one who has brought you together as husband and wife, and he knows that you are better together. You'll be more effective for the kingdom as you labor together. Now, if Priscilla and Aquila were here today, I would interview them to tell us about their ministry and and how they're able to use their gifts of hospitality and service and helps to help make disciples. How is it that they partner together? But they're not here. But I did find a very dynamic couple who's a part of our church that God is using in a wonderful way as they combine their spiritual gifts of leadership and helps and service and helping minister to our city together through the ministry of Heal the City. Vicki and Alan Keister are members of our congregation. I want to show a video to tell you so that we might hear together how God is using them to make disciples through Heal the City. Vicky's not out there in front, 
um, she kind of is back in the background and she likes that but it's really great because it um, allows me to lead in the way I need to lead and yet um, it really um, helps her use her gifts in the best way and, and I think she's amazing at those things it's great Vicki, what do you appreciate most about Alan? How do you see Alan complimenting you and the spiritual gifts that God has given you? Well, he sort of talked about my gifts in his question, but I feel like one thing I really love is that he, um, with his gifts, includes me enough to like, even though his might be leadership, he always wants my opinion on a Sunday school lesson or always keeps me um, in the know with what's happening. And really, I feel like Hilda City has been such a great start for us because I've gone on mission trips before with him and it's not that we haven't done ministry together but this has been such a labor of love to kind of see this start from just an idea and become what it is now and so I've loved that with his gifts of leadership and compassion he includes me in that and knows my gifts and kind of has found ways for me to to be part of what we do at Hilda City and I feel as much of a team as I think you know the staff and other volunteers so I really have enjoyed that. Tell us about how God has called both of you to help lead Heal the City while maintaining your full-time role as doctor, father, and mother. (laughs) Well, that's a great question as well. You're giving us all the good questions. Um, I would say it's it's a juggling act some of the time. What we know is that we're called to something bigger than just our day jobs, right? And that we really feel like... um, one of the things that we want to do is really live in light of eternity, that, that what we do has eternal consequences. And so um, we've had the, the um, pleasure of getting to serve um, in foreign countries together. Um, and that was always great. You'd go for a week, we'd have this great um, opportunity and great experience, and yet we'd come back and say, well, what about right here where we live? Really, Heal the City became an opportunity for us to um, pour into um, where we live here in Amarillo together. And um, what's been great is I would lead those trips, and sometimes we could get to come, and sometimes she didn't. So Heal the City's been one of these things that we've got to do um, together, um, and even have our family participate. You know, having my mom and my dad um, participate, and then having... Um, our daughters um, volunteer and serve here. And so that's been really gratifying because they've sort of gotten to catch the vision of what's happening and that um, we need to be about serving and doing things bigger and communicating the love of Christ to the people around us in practical ways. And um, so I think Hill the City's really given us the opportunity to, to do that and not to do it as me doing a mission trip and, and Vicki staying to watch the kids, but us doing things doing life together and really um, having the opportunity to serve well together. That's great. Vicki, tell us about your role with Heal the City and what do you see has been the greatest benefit of having your whole family involved in the ministry? You know, I've kind of got a lot of hats here and and it's changed even from when we started to what I do today, but um, I do coordinate the food for all of our volunteers on Monday night. I'm here at least two days a week. Your coordinator, I do tours. Um, I do special events, kind of planning uh, fundraisers and things like that. So I kind of, whatever they ask me to do, I try to be helpful. Um, but I do love the patients. I love seeing the patients. And sometimes out in public I see people and they know who I am. And I want them to know that we love them and we're willing to do that. But as far as um, 
I mean, I've loved our whole family being able to help. Our youngest kids don't come at this point unless it's a special event, but I have a great babysitter, and that's how she supports Hilton City is by taking care of our kids while we're here. That's allowed me to come guilt-free on Monday nights, you know? <laughs> and so um, I've, I've loved that God continues to work in me and, and help me just to be molded to what He's asking me to do in any particular time at Hilton City. City. It meets every Monday night in the San Jacinto neighborhood at the old YMCA, and uh, it's an opportunity for anyone to volunteer. If you'd like to volunteer, you can go to their webpage that we just had up there, HealTheCityAMA.com. Love for you to be a part of that, but they're a, Alan and Vicky are like a modern-day Priscilla and Aquila. It's great to see how they're able to take their different gifts and bring them together to help lead a ministry together. It's not Alan who's leading the ministry by himself. It's Vicky and Alan together, for they know that they are better together. Where is your ministry? Where is God calling you to serve? And just as importantly, who are you inviting to join you in that ministry? Because we know from the scriptures and the story of Priscilla and Aquila that we are better together as we seek to make disciples, as we have our hearts and minds focused on the great commission that Jesus has given to us to go and make disciples of all nations. May we all discover our ministry. May we discover what our gifts are so that we might use those gifts working together to make disciples of Jesus. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that by your spirit, you have equipped us to do the work of your kingdom. You have called us by your son to go and make disciples. We thank you, Lord, for every marriage in our church that you have brought a husband and wife together where they might use their spiritual gifts together in making disciples. Help every couple to discover their ministry. Help every person to discover the ministry you have called them to. Whether married or single, Lord, you know you have equipped us to do the work of your kingdom. So God, we thank you for your amazing love. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Help us to make the most of the time and the talents and the treasures that we have to help make disciples of your Son so that at the end of our days, when we see you in heaven, you may look at us and say, well done and good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share the joy of your master's happiness.